This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Just west of the Meadow River, on Farmdale Road, in the rural region of Meadow Bluff, West Virginia, is a small white clapboard church named for the well-known Methodist bishop, Joshua Soule. Constructed in 1849, the otherwise unimposing Soul Chapel is home to a small cemetery that became central to one of the state's most infamous ghost stories. A century-old folktale that is now commemorated by a state historical marker erected outside. Interred in a nearby cemetery is Zona Easter Shoe. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsies on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to the state prison. It was the only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. This uniquely mysterious and eerie tale has since become known to many as the Greenbrier Ghost. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. Elva Zona Heaster was born in Greenbrier County, West Virginia, around 1873. Little is known about her early life, but that she grew up in the small farming community of Richlands in Greenbrier County and is known to have given birth to a child out of wedlock in 1895. But Zona Heaster's seemingly average life came to an abrupt and tragic end on January 23, 1897, when she was found dead in her home 
laying at the foot of the staircase. It is reported that her body was stretched out, her feet together, one hand resting on her stomach, and her head turned slightly to one side, and her eyes were still open, staring lifelessly ahead. Andy had been dispatched to the house by her husband, Erasmus Stribbling Trout Shoe, to find out if she needed anything from the store. Then, after discovering the tragic scene, the young boy ran straight back home to tell his mother what he had found. It was Andy's mother who called for the doctor and local coroner, George W. Knapp. It took Dr. Knapp over an hour to arrive at the house, only to find that Zona's body had been moved from the floor, carried upstairs, and laid out on her bed. Her husband, who went by Trout, had not only relocated his wife, but had also already washed and dressed Zona's body. The task of cleaning and preparing a body for burial was traditionally done by the women of the community. So Trout's decision to undertake the task himself was suspiciously noted. When Knapp began his examination of Zona's remains, she was wearing a high-necked dress with a stiff collar and veil over her face. The exam itself was brief, a result of Trout demanding to remain with his wife's body. And it's said that he sat next to Zona, cradling her head and sobbing. Dr. Knapp saw Trout's behavior and thus hurried through his examination. And it is believed that the only physical abnormality Knapp came upon was bruising around the young woman's neck. Yet it was difficult to see as it was hidden behind the stiff collar of the high neck dress that Trout had chosen. When the doctor attempted to take a closer look, Trout was said to have reacted violently in his distressed state, causing Knapp to end the examination immediately and leave the home. Initially, Zona's cause of death was listed as a, quote, everlasting faint, which today would likely be associated with a heart attack. But not long after the initial exam was concluded, her cause of death was redetermined and listed as childbirth. This was likely because only two weeks prior, Dr. Knapp had treated Zona for, quote, female trouble. But it's unknown whether or not she had even been pregnant at the time. Word of the tragedy spread quickly in the small community, and when Zona's mother, Mary Jane Heaster, was told of her daughter's end, she reported to have said, quote, 
The devil has killed her. The devil has killed her. In between Zona's death and burial, her husband, Trout, remained steadfast in showing his grief and his devotion to his lost wife. He remained vigil at the head of the open coffin when it was moved to the Heaster home and settled for Zona's laying out prior to burial. Yet Trout's behavior soon began to bring attention to himself and arouse suspicions. During the wake and laying out, Trout's grief seemed to constantly shift between overwhelming sadness and incredible manic energy. He would also allow no one to come close to the coffin to pay their respects and was especially adamant in his denial when adjusting Zona's body, placing a pillow on one side of her head and a rolled up sheet on the other, claiming that it was to help his wife rest easier. It's also said that Trout had tied a large scarf around her neck And when asked about the article, he simply stated that it was his wife's favorite. Then, when the time finally came to relocate the body to the cemetery, purportedly, several people noted what seemed to be a strange looseness to Zona's head. Elva Zona Heaster was laid to rest on January 24, 1897, in the local cemetery now known as the Soul Chapel Methodist Cemetery. From the very beginning, Mary Jane Heaster was convinced that Erasmus Trout Shoe had killed her daughter. It was a belief that was only reinforced by the disapproval she had had throughout the entirety of the couple's relationship. The man had been a drifter, arriving in Greenbrier County around 1896. He sought work in the local blacksmith shop and said he was in search of a new life. It's unknown how and when Zona Heaster met Trout, but on October 20th, 1896, After a swift courtship, the two were married. It's said that Mary Jane Heaster had taken an instant dislike of her new son-in-law, believing that he was hiding things about his past. So when Mary Jane Heaster said the devil had killed her daughter, it's very likely that it was Trout she was thinking of. Following Zona's wake and burial, Mary Jane had taken the sheet that had rested beside her daughter's head and attempted to return it to Trout, but he refused. Then, upon noticing that it held an odd odor, the grieving mother decided to wash it, and it's said that when she submerged the sheet into her wash basin, the water turned red, and the previously white sheet took on a pinkish tint as the water eventually cleared. 
In a further attempt to clean the sheet, Mary Jane boiled it and placed it out to dry on a clothesline. But the stain would not, could not be removed. As a result, Mary Jane Heaster believed that these uncleanable pinkish stains were clearly blood stains and took them for a sign that her daughter Zona had indeed been murdered. Beginning that night and each night thereafter, Mary Jane Heaster began to pray that Zona would return to her and tell her the truth behind her death. Legend says that four weeks after the funeral, these prayers were answered when Zona finally came to Mary Jane Heaster in a dream. She claimed that the ghost appeared first as a bright light, which gradually began to take shape. The more formed the light, the chillier the room became, until at last Zona was standing before her mother. In her dream, Zona told her mother that Trout had been a cruel man who often abused her. She said that her death was the result of an attack by Trout, who had swelled into a fit of rage at the belief his wife had not cooked an adequate dinner. The apparition then claimed that Trout had broken her neck. And to prove this point to her mother, Zona's ghost turned her head around until it was able to face backwards. It is said that Zona continued to visit over the course of four nights to ensure that the truth would soon be known. Mary Jane Heaster now felt she had proof that her daughter's death had been far more sinister than first reported and was determined to see that Trout was brought to justice for Zona's murder. Mary Jane visited with the local prosecutor, John Alfred Preston, and spent several hours speaking with him in hopes of convincing him to reopen the matter of her daughter's death. By all accounts, Preston was both polite and sympathetic to Mrs. Heaster's plight, and it's unknown whether or not Preston actually believed the story of the ghostly visitation. But nevertheless, he did dispatch several local deputies to re-interview several people of interest. Of course, even if Preston didn't believe Mary Jane Heaster's story, he likely would have ordered the new interviews anyway for there was a growing consensus among members of the community about the suspicious nature of Zona's death, with some local newspapers even suggesting that perhaps Zona had been murdered. After reopening the case of Zona's death, Preston interviewed Dr. Knapp himself. The discovery that the coroner had been unable to perform a complete examination at the time of death 
served as sufficient justification for an autopsy. An exhumation was ordered, and an inquest jury was formed to oversee the proceedings. Y'all, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about one of my favorite nonprofit organizations here in Middle Tennessee. It's called Poster Nashville. Now, this organization supports people during times of housing or medical crises by providing compassionate, temporary care for their pets. That's right. Poster helps secure loving homes for beloved little furballs when their human companions are going through things that might otherwise cause them to have to give them up. But since Poster began back in 2020, they've been able to reunite nearly 250 pets with their loving pet parents after they were able to secure housing, keeping families together through tough times. Of course, y'all, I have to say from personal experience, it's been an awesome program to be around. My kids and I have been fortunate enough to hang out with some of the pups. And trust me, what Poster is doing through a devoted network of volunteers is absolutely heartwarming. So if you'd like to help, Poster is in the middle of their annual fundraiser right now, trying to hit a goal of $20,000. And it would mean the world to me if you'd consider helping us get there. All you got to do is visit southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. That's right, southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. Hello all, Eric Rivenus with the Most Notorious Podcast here. Each week I interview an author or historian about a historical true crime, tragedy, or disaster. Subject matter ranges from gunslingers to Gilded Age murder to gangsters to fires to pirates to wild prison breaks. My guests bring their incredible knowledge directly to you. Please subscribe to Most Notorious on your favorite podcast app. Cheers and have a safe tomorrow. The remains of Elva Zona Heaster were exhumed on February 22, 1897. Her body was relocated to the nearby one-room Nickel Schoolhouse, where the exam would take place. In addition to the doctors, the autopsy would be witnessed by a jury of five men, several officers of the court, Erasmus Trout Shoe, Andy Jones, and any others who wanted to witness the proceedings. It was reported in the local newspapers that Trout, quote, vigorously complained about the turn of events and re-examination into his wife's death, and that if he was not required by law to witness the autopsy, he would not attend. Furthermore, stories indicate that Trout spoke of knowing he would be arrested for his wife's death, but was confident that he could not be charged for such a crime as there was no evidence against him. The autopsy took three hours. The body was said to be in a near-perfect state of preservation, a result of the cold temperatures of February in West Virginia, making the proceedings easier. 
the doctors worked under kerosene lanterns. First, they examined the vital organs. Next, they cut an incision along the back of the skull to remove and examine the brain. However, an examination of the skull and brain was not necessary, as it was quickly realized that Zona's neck had indeed been broken. Upon delivering their findings to the assembled witnesses, Trout was reportedly heard whispering, they cannot prove that I did it. The official report on the autopsy findings was published on March 9, 1897. The discovery was made that the neck was broken and the windpipe smashed. On the throat were marks of fingers indicating that she had been choked. The neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. The ligaments were torn and ruptured. The windpipe had been crushed at a point in front of the neck. On the strength of this autopsy evidence and a result of his behavior at the inquest, Erasmus Stribbling Trout Shoe was arrested and charged with the murder of his wife. While awaiting his trial, Trout was held in a small stone jail in Lewisburg, West Virginia. When arraigned for the murder of his wife, he immediately entered the plea of not guilty. Convinced and confident that he could not be convicted for the murder of Zona, as there was no evidence to prove the case against him. It was an interesting choice to make when speaking about his circumstances. Not that he was innocent, but that he couldn't be convicted. As such, it is reported that during his time in prison, Trout was in good spirits. The grief he had suffered at the death of his wife was past, and he was ready to continue on and marry again. In fact, Trout claimed to have a lifelong goal of marrying a total of seven women, and as he was still a young man, there was time to realize that ambition. But it was during his incarceration that some of Trout's mysterious past began to come to light. Prior to his marriage to Zona, Trout had been married twice previously, with neither ending well. His first wife was Allie Cutlip, and together the couple had one child. Allie accused her husband of great cruelty, saying that he frequently beat her. And the divorce went through while Trout was serving time in jail for stealing horses. His second wife was Lucy Ann Tritt. The pair married in 1894, and eight months later, Lucy was dead under mysterious circumstances. Trout claimed that Lucy had fallen and hit her head on a rock. Few believed him, so Trout packed up his belongings and left town for Greenbrier, 
where he would eventually meet and marry his third wife, Elva Zona Heaster. The trial began on June 22, 1897, and Mary Jane Heaster was the star witness. Prosecutor John Allen Preston placed Mary Jane on the stand in the role of both the mother of the deceased and also as the first person to notice and come forth about the unusual circumstances of her daughter's death. Preston's goal was to ensure that Mrs. Heaster appeared both sane and reliable. He kept his line of questions to the known facts about the case, carefully skirting around any issues of supposed ghostly appearances, as any information Mrs. Heaster provided based upon a ghost could certainly be considered nothing but hearsay in the court. As for the defense, they had hoped to prove Mary Jane's unreliability, so Trout's lawyer questioned Mrs. Heaster extensively about Zona's supposed visits to her. The lawyer worked to characterize these believed ghost visitations as the visions and ravings of a grief-stricken mother, with the hope that Mary Jane would eventually admit that she might be mistaken about what she had seen and that Zona may not have actually come to her. But the tactic backfired. Not once did Mary Jane Heaster waver in her account of her daughter's ghost. Since the defense had formally introduced the issue into the case, the judge found it difficult to instruct the jury to completely disregard the story of the ghost In fact, many people of the community believed it. Although it is said that Trout supposedly gave an eloquent testimony in his own defense, it was not enough to counter Mary Jane Heaster and the other community members that had been called to testify against him. And on July 11, 1897, Erasmus Stribbling Trout's shoe was found guilty of the murder of Elva Zona Heaster. Of the jury members, 10 had voted for the death penalty, which spoke to the believability of Mrs. Heaster's testimony. But it was not enough. Without a unanimous vote by the jury, Trout was spared the rope and sentenced to life imprisonment. Many in the community found the sentence to not be harsh enough, and before Trout could be transferred to prison, a lynch mob of between 15 and 30 men had formed to take him from the jail and hang him immediately for his crimes. The group was said to have purchased new rope and were well armed with, quote, Winchesters and revolvers as they started towards the jail. Yet the mob wouldn't make it that far. A man named George M. Hara contacted the deputy sheriff at the jail to inform him of the imminent threat. Luckily for Trout, 
he was taken a mile or so outside of town for his safety and was only returned after the deputy sheriff had successfully disbanded the mob. Several days later, Trout was moved to the West Virginia State Penitentiary in Moundsville, where he lived three more years. He died in prison on March 13, 1900, the victim of an unknown epidemic, although it is known that the spring measles, mumps, and pneumonia had all swept through the facility. After he died, Trout was buried in an unmarked grave in the nearby Tom's Run Cemetery. And since no records were kept for the cemetery prior to the 1930s, today, no trace of Erasmus Stribbling Trout's shoe can be found. As for Mary Jane Heaster, she never recanted the story of her daughter's ghostly visit and continued to tell the tale to any and all who would listen until her death in September of 1916. But the spirit of Elva Zona Heaster, which has become infamously known as the Greenbrier Ghost, was never seen in the area again, and many believe that with the truth told about her murder and justice served, the young woman, whose life was taken all too soon, was finally able to rest in peace. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider with the support of listeners like you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to receive even more content, including ad-free episodes, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes. Lucky Lady Shacks. Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts.